ADT professionally installs Google Nest products, helping to make your home safe and smart. You can check in on your home and manage your security system from virtually anywhere. And with Nest Cams and Nest Doorbell, you get intelligent alerts on what matters most. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, you've got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. We've shaken off our trip to fan comas to bring you the latest edition of the E-League Report, the best damn esports show you'll listen to this week. I'm Brian, he's seven, and we're coming at you live from a mega thread on Reddit. <laughs> that's, that's where we always live. But how do you know I'm not still eating turkey? I think uh, before, I, I like, not necessarily carbo load, but turkey load before every show. You turkey that's, that's, load before every show. That's, that's my secret, yeah. yeah. That explains so, so much. <laughs> the sweats. The, the meat sweats you get every week. Oh, man. Coming up this week, Seven may get to be right again about Hearthstone Esports. Overactive and Splice Exchange promise rings. Fortnite is the NFL's worst nightmare, and the EU LCS is dead. But first, we kick things off with all the big moves in League of Legends in a way that generates the same amount of clicks for ESPN as r slash LOL does. <laughs> That's right. So uh, Throwing that shit. Yeah, you're going to – look at this. A lot of, a lot of league this show already know, in the notes. So let's start off with the domino that we said needed to fall. Before things would right. get rolling. So after a brief free agency period and a massive restructuring of the team, Faker has signed a new contract with SKT. How big of a role did this play in the free agency that was coming up and in the Peanut saga that we talked about right. last week with P- Peanut talking with SKT, but not potentially, but allegedly not signing with them. And now we know for a fact did not. Correct. Correct. I think uh, I think this was, uh, had a lot to do with all of these, like you mentioned, the dominoes kind of falling, right? Um, after Faker joined, uh, SKT dropped Blank, Bang, and Wolf. All three from the 2017 World Championship team. Right, right. So a huge restructuring. And we, we mentioned how much uh, Faker might be asking in terms of money and what would need to change to, uh, like, what any team, what would they would pay for him, what, what SKT could get. Uh, with that money, and evidently they wanted to just they get rid of Faker things. Again. Yes. Yeah, and and I I don't I don't know how. I mean, Faker is amazing. There's no doubt about it. You had a team that has done well in 2017, didn't do the greatest in 2018. You would think maybe a a player or two to support Faker, not dumping the entire team for Faker, I, or just dump Faker and rebuild completely. Because Faker did uh, not point, have a banner season last season, to be clear. It was not the Faker show, and everybody else is not helping out. Faker definitely did not have a good season either. And I just it, it feels weird to me to bring him back and make him the cornerstone of yet another rebuild. Because let's remember, in 2017 and 2018, they'd already played this story out without the free agency drama. Yeah, it's true. Well, I mean, how much do you think uh, Faker being like the face of SKT is important to them, right? Oh, and I don't want to discount that value at all. This is the LeBron effect, right? Like, even if you're not winning championships, the fact that you have Faker is a big deal. But 2017, where Peanut was part of SKT originally, that whole rebuild failed to make them even better than they were when they won in 2016. Uh, 2018 was an abject failure. First time they've not made in the playoffs. So I think that's a this is an interesting move for them to rebet on Faker long term. Now you had also mentioned it, uh, that we were there was the rumor of SKT picking up Peanut and and letting Faker just go ahead go to the wind whatever whoever wanted to pick him up. Um, but it was announced that Gen G actually signed uh, Jungler Peanut uh, for to the team for this coming year and. Uh, one of the things I was wondering was whether or not this move came first. If this triggered them re-signing Faker, like they couldn't get Peanut, so therefore Faker was right, what, their, right. their second choice. There's two ways you could view this, right? You can say Peanut was Faker's replacement, and they could not come to terms with Peanut, so they re-signed Faker. And dropped everybody else. And dropped everybody else. Though I don't think Peanut is good enough for that to be what happened. I think... They had every intention of re-signing Faker, and they were hoping 
by signing Peanut again, that they could show that they were serious about this rebuild. And Peanut probably, as he rightfully should, looked at where he was when he was on SKT before. All the problems we talked about last time we discussed this, which is that the game needed to flow through Peanut. He did not do a good, you know, he was not comfortable nor utilized properly in the position of supporting Faker, being second fiddle to Faker on the team, and said, nope, I've I've heard this song before. I'm going off to Gen G where I might potentially get that opportunity. And Gen G had a very similar wiping out of the roster as SKT did to start over as well. So that's I think that is far more likely. I would be shocked if, based on Pina's performance since he left the first time, while he was there and since he left, that they see enough that he could be a possible replacement for Faker, knowing that that would open up Faker to likely sign with another Korean team. I know we were <laughs> all hoping. Genji. Yeah, likely Genji, right? Like, I would be shocked if he ended up anywhere outside of Korea. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't expect that. I mean, this is, there's so many, like, caveats to how this could have gone down or how uh, what what could have decided or made these decisions either for them or why they made the decisions themselves. And everything from Faker losing money on sponsorships because not having Faker. Faker possibly going to a competitor, which is likely Gen And refining his form. Yeah, yeah. And, and and getting the right team around him, knocking your chance of going into Worlds and making more money out. Like, it just, there's so much. I think it's, it's just sad that to get Faker, they dumped three quality players. Even though they didn't make it, they're still quality players. And for other teams to pick up former world champions, right? Like of their own right. So this is not, I mean, it's not like they surrounded him with bad players, right? Not at all. Another person who's not bad is bang. And that is good for 100 thieves because 100 thieves got a lot of crap heading into worlds this year. And so they've said, you know what? We are going to step it up. And they signed bang from SKT. Is this the shot in the arm that 100 thieves needed? I I think this is definitely going to help them uh cody sun was a little up and down uh he has now announced that he's basically you mean he elsewhere. rose and fell like this oh look at you the bad puns i thought bad you got joke. all the bad puns out of the way when all the intro starts no nope, no nope, if i had to sneak one more in there <laughs> but yeah so uh cody sun announced that he's he's out which uh obviously would be not even be playing second fiddle to bang he just wouldn't exist because uh bang is a a a quality player and i think that um, this will only help a hundred thieves kind of silence those those critics. I think it does. Again, I, I think it's by adding that kind of quality, seeing that opportunity, like, hey, here's uh, a a a strong player from a strong team who could do nothing but bring uh, expertise to to our team, which punched above their weight last season, arguably. And uh, I think it's a, a solid solid pickup. I probably like the LeBron pickup. Essentially, oh, look at yeah. bold move. I think, wait, from an NALCS standpoint, that was like, oh, of free agents out there, that was a huge pickup. I think I'm about to disagree with you. <laughs> really, really. All right, so uh, another team making big moves. Uh, team Liquid gave their roster a major upgrade with a pair of signings. Uh, they signed Genji's uh, Core JJ. He's coming in as the team's new support. And unfortunately, it saddens me to hear uh, that Jensen is joining from Cloud9, giving uh, Team Liquid now one of the top mid laners in the NALCS. So, again, now in the NALCS, is Team Liquid now the team to beat? I think, so two things. One, I think they were the team to beat this year. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think that they were... At times, more consistently at times than maybe Cloud9 and 100 Thieves, definitely 100 Thieves, the better team in NA. And I think they punched below their weight heading into Worlds, and it's very easy for us to forget all the hype around that team, especially with the roster moves that they made coming into last season. I think Core JJ is potentially that LeBron-level pick that levels a team up. And when you take Jensen off of Cloud9, who's a huge part of that roster and had a very deep run at Worlds this year, that's a lot of experience. That is a lot of quality players to add to what is already a quality side. And that, to me, makes them hands down the team to beat. And one thing that is not in any of these notes that will be worth talking about potentially next week is how little we are talking about TSM. 
Right, right. Well, TSM did sign, I believe, today it came out that they signed one or two players, but I don't think... I think but they, Sven, didn't, they don't make the list. Sven had mentioned somebody else recently, but I don't think that they are making huge... The, the, Not the based, quality like this. Yes, and they should be based on how their season went last year. And if you're looking to see like maybe some of the top four I, uh, uh, in the NALCS, you look at Cloud9, 100 Thieves, Liquid, TSM. Uh, TSM is arguably maybe the third in terms of uh, scoring scoring people for this uh, roster apocalypse, I guess you would. would have yep. like and they needed going. to be number one. Right, they did. They did. Um, the, the Cloud9 is now, uh, they said that they planned to run with Golden Glue, and they picked up uh, four more splice player uh mid laner uh Niski as well. So they have they have two mid laner replacements. Um I don't think either of them were as good as losing your starter. And to lose your starter to another NA team is uh also a rough An thing. NA team that you lost to in the summer split. Right. Yeah. But let's talk about this. So Liquid gets these two signings and they still have double lift. Think about that. Think about the how much pressure was just lifted off a of double lift because now you have to deal no with these two. Intended. Right, uh, I actually didn't even intend that. But thanks yeah. for pointing that out. But no, I mean, think about it. Is, will double lift just will we receive? Will we see that version of double lift which we saw like what two years ago before he kind of decided to like bounce out and back in like where he was just like crazy, crazy good? Or I mean, Core JJ literally came out and said, "This is why I'm joining the team because right. he knows he's quality." Double lift. Yeah, he yep. knows he's quality, but I think he he struggled with. I think Liquid struggled with that current roster and adding these two. That makes them dangerous in two other areas. Well, one, really. but We're already building up that same preseason hype we built up last year around Team Liquid. And I'm not saying it's not warranted, and they definitely deserve it. If you take their world's performance off of the table and you look at how they performed in NALCS proper, it's kind of hard to argue yeah. with the fact that they are still the team to beat. Think about that. Wasn't it Team Liquid that picked up double lift? Uh, it was like they were basically tanking, and they picked him up for like a dumb amount of money out of retirement, supposedly, to retirement. try and save them. And now here we are a year or two later. And they've, and they've built the team completely around him now. Right. Yeah. So right. what seemed like a desperation move uh, might end up being uh, a world's contender. I won't say I won't say we'll go as far and no, they will go as far. NA. Right. Yeah. You can't ever you can't count I, on the fluke. We're not going to have that discussion for the third year in a row. No, no. Uh, so when you're hot, you are hot. Investors turned owners over Active Media Group have made the move to acquire Splice to become the fourth team to be part of both Riot Games and Blizzard's franchise esport leagues alongside Cloud9, Misfits, and Optic Gaming. Does this move show a bright future for the, uh, we'll call it the EU LCS for at least the next right. five minutes, uh, or are we treading in dangerous waters with all this cross-league ownership? I think um, just the amount of effort and backing that Riot has, is putting into the EU LCS uh, and the run that they had at Worlds and the hype around the EU LCS, I think it does speak a lot to that. Overactive uh, Media Group has... Splice is also the, the Toronto Defiant. The two of them are behind the Toronto Defiant. Yes, yes. And well, so, now the one of them. Correct, correct, correct. Splice was essentially running the Defiant for that, for that investor correct. group. Uh, they decided to go ahead and bring them on, and obviously because they have another team in uh, the uh, EU LCS... We also I, know they're very good at protecting the usage of the city of Toronto in relation to esports. That's right. That's right. Don't you? Oh, man. Uh, we won't go down that route. But I, the one thing that does scare me, we, we talk about um, these groups that are paying huge amounts of money to get into these leagues. Uh, Overwatch League is obviously not um, as seasoned as the LCS in terms of like viewership numbers and, and reliability in terms of revenue. Yep. But we've also seen the LCS is on the decline. So you now you've got these two groups that are... We saw uh, these groups with are, Immortals, right? Right, right, where they kind of overreach the and, and they get into these areas where they could be losing money. One team ends up supporting another, yada, yada, yada. I, I, this, I, it scares me because largely because uh, Overwatch League isn't proven. It really isn't. Right. And what happens when... Something like what happened to Optic Gaming, right? Yep. <laughs> they start getting into money troubles. And this is a discussion we had. So you remember when franchising was rolling around for the NALCS, there was all the drama because Immortals, which had been a team that had been involved with the NALCS from the beginning, did not get into Riot's franchising because they were overly leveraged. It was the rumor that was being tossed right. around. But were able to get into the Overwatch League despite being heavily leveraged. And we talked about the time... Like, is this riot trying to build stability where 
Overwatch League is going. We just need to bring people into the equation. And maybe they saw this possibility of if you do not have concrete infrastructure in place that you may not be able to support both very heavily franchised marketed leagues that have a lot of expectations on them and not just, hey, let's create a team of some dudes and throw them into a game. (laughs) And where they thought they had that foundation in a team like Optic, it has turned out that they have not because Optic, which is one of the most popular franchises in the world in esports, is having money problems. It's really... I would argue really only Cloud9 that has done it and been successful. Misfits is also doing it, and as we'll talk about, is going to be in a similar situation in the EU, but they don't nearly have the brand recognition and the horsepower that an Optic and a Cloud9 does, and even a Splice, arguably. Yeah, and Cloud9 at least benefits from the fact that they're winning and making money a lot uh, versus Optic is not. Yeah, they're somehow pulling that off. Kudos. Uh, I think that is... As strict as Riot has been in going through their, those companies' books who applied to be in, in the uh, EU LCS, that they, this deal with Overactive Media Group must have been in Splice's roadmap, right? In terms of if we make it into the EU LCS, we get we, we get picked up by Overactive Media Group. Uh, you've got a Brian will have a theory. Oh, I, It'll I, play I, out on the E League report. Fame has been reached world has been conquered no i have a theory but i have to roll into the next story to get to that theory about why this happened when it did so let's talk about this we hinted this at the top of the show and just recently big changes are abound for the eu lcs as riot has announced the final teams and a surprise rebranding of the eu lcs for league of legends franchising bottle coming up for the 2019 season they are now be the league of legends european championship or the lec we get a fancy new logo very premier league looking right uh, which is interesting given some of the rumors of previous iterations of what this was going to look like <laughs> right right uh, but the teams that will be competing fanatic fc shaka 04 g2 esports misfits vitality splice excel rogue sk gaming and origin the teams that are out giants gaming h2k team roca cat and the unicorns of love which we knew were already out which we knew were already out, but there's a lot of interesting things to unpack. Let's start with that Splice story for a moment. So it was rumored up until a few days ago that these slots were going to be North and Movie Star, and that they ran into problems during negotiation at the last minute, Excel and Splice were brought back into the equation. And I wonder how much of this official acquisition of Splice has to do with making them a viable option to get into the EU when they weren't maybe even a week ago. We don't know the exact timeline here, but it was not the original plan to bring these two teams into the EU LEC. Sorry, I can't. We even call it the EU LEC. Is that redundant now? I think that is. The LE, to bring them into the LEC. This is going to take us a minute, folks. We apologize. Um, it's going to bring them into the LEC, and this makes them a better ownership group if it's not splice it's splice that is now owned by overactive media which also owns an overwatch league team presents better stability and i wonder had splice not got pulled back into the lec if we would have seen this move happen well let's let's talk about riot's press release which mentioned that uh that they chose those teams based on a blend of the very best of native esports expertise with the fresh commercial insight and backing so there you go. I think that just that uh, I think that solidifies your your rumor, your IHOP rumor, your theory, your hypothesis. Uh, it, it's definitely what happened. Like, like I mentioned, somewhere along the lines, Splice was able to figure out this deal uh, with Overactive Media. It was contingent on if if this then that kind of thing. Yep. Uh, if not, uh, if we get this, will we get uh, into the LEC? And that was the case, and that and it's they're a much stronger team financially, backing wise, and when you have Overactive Media Group, which yes, they're, they're jumping platform, jumping uh, from between Overwatch League, and they're in the LEC. That's bringing a company that is leveraging sponsors and uh, money co- coming in all from all over, right? So they're yeah. going to have be more established and say. Unicorn, unicorns of love, right? Which are more likely to reach out to like a U porn and gets <laughs> and gets uh, backing. I, I think that uh, I think you're right. I, it, there was definitely some stuff that happened last minute. Splice was able to uh, make that jump. However, you also brought up another point before the show about H2K. Yeah, so let's talk about 
this is a long, we're going to reach into the annals of history a year ago. And H2K and Unicorns got very, very salty with Riot through an open letter. I believe part of it was published through ESPN, basically saying, we are going to pull out of the EU LCS unless you fix your shit, is essentially what those two teams said. They got, it got not heated, but definitely uncomfortable. Riot does right. not like their laundry aired. We have seen this happen around NALCS franchising back in the days when Yahoo Esports still existed, and they basically came out early on franchising because they were forced to, and they don't like when these things happen. So H2K and Unicorns of Love threatened to leave in 2017. Both teams denied entry into the LEC, which does not feel like a coincidence, and feels especially punitive when H2K had actually lined up a partnership with Paris Saint-Germain, which is the massive, very well-funded club in Ligue 1 of the French uh, Football League, and one of the best teams in the world has been throwing money around left and right to get players. And for them to deny that level of outside sports investment, whether attached to H2K or not, seems very very troubling to me now i don't know what exactly the deal looked like or what the partnership was offering if paris saint germain was going to buy h2k or what that was going to end up looking like but for them to pass on h2k and therefore pass on psg seems like a pretty bold move on riot's part and bucks the trend that we had saw with NALCS, which had a lot of new traditional esports investment or traditional sports investment into esports. This go around, we get no new ones. PSG would have represented the only new investment. We get the existing investment through FC Schalke as well as Misfits, which is the Miami Heat of the NBA. That that is very intriguing to me. Like I hate to project how we view it on Reddit to how the reality is, but it's hard not to feel like Riot's being a little bit petty here. Well, you have to think about it. I mean, do you want to work with this team indefinitely after they've aired your dirty laundry? They've essentially called you out, um, complaint. Now, to be fair, I'm I'm mostly certain that G2 applied for the NALCS, and I believe Misfits did as All well. F- there was four teams that replied to the, that applied to the NALCS. It was G2 Esports, Fnatic, Splice, and Misfits. And other than this weird hiccup with Splice, all four of those got in. So I don't think the, the punishment here is about entering, trying to get into the NALCS. Right. It is about this open letter that those two teams signed on to. It is not, and these are teams that, so uh, H2K has been nonstop in the EU LCS since 2015. Same thing for Unicorns of Love. Neither team has ever been relegated. They have been a large, consistent fixture and probably the most consistent fixture outside of Cap because Giants Gaming disbanded and re-entered uh, the EU LCS in 2015 after disbanding in 2013. So very consistent parts of the equation and arguably more popular esports brands especially from you know unicorns of love standpoint than some of the teams that they let in not all of them but some of the teams that they left in and i would argue especially a team like movie star that was potentially going to get one of these slots it's just it's hard not to project and look at right. this and say you guys are being a little petty here because of that letter but then also i don't think that riot is not the type of company that i think that the approach that h2k and unicorns of love took would work like, I don't look at right. Riot and go, man, I'll be an asshole. That'll get me my way. <laughs> no, no. If anything, it's it's generally the opposite. Now, if you look at H2K, they did go through an ownership change. I think it was in 2016. Uh, might have been, like, early, mid. And the people who are backing it aren't weren't, like, native to esports, really. I think they had, uh, looking at this, a senior partner at a law firm, a hedge fund manager, an, Aust- an Australian professor, a professor of business, and with me. people backing it. I threw in like twenty bucks. Yeah, and and, and Brian got some swag. Um, but if you look at that, and when you look at their uh, press release, which talks about commercial insight and backing, esports expertise, it doesn't lie with H two K in that aspect. And so, with that, that's another strike against them in terms of. Uh, how viable are they to bring in the league? How viable are they to go out and get their own sponsorship, uh, get their own sponsors, bring in money, contribute to the league in that way? Because that is something that Riot looks at. And when you look at Fnatic, which is the reason why the EU is taken out of the EU LCS and it's now the LEC, because you can't have a team <laughs> not in the EU, yep. in the EU on uh, LCS. Regionality. Yeah, right, right. Uh, you, you look at that, uh, the, those core 
metrics for making that decision. And H2K checks a, uh, doesn't check a lot of the boxes that are needed to become a team. So yep. while had they not <laughs> made that early strike against uh, lashing out against Riot, they may have actually made it in even with some of those things missing, just from the amount of money that PSG could have brought in. Well, and not just money. And while this is not long-tenured, PSG has a FIFA team, a Rocket League team, a Dota 2 team. All recently new, though. All re- no, and that's what I'm saying. Not long-tenured by any stretch of the imagination, but PSG has definitely represented a want to invest into esports. And this is not like, hey, this is going to be our first test bed, which has not been the case with the teams that got into the NALCS. The Golden State Warriors and uh, Clutch Gaming, which are the Houston Rockets, were both new entries for those organizations, specifically for NALCS. 100 Thieves, arguably a different situation because of the fact that Nate Shot had already been doing some partnership work and things with the Cavaliers before this NALCS opportunity came up. But so it's weird. It, it, again, I if I'm the EU and I look at the chance to have PSG involved absent of even their involvement in esports that's a lot of money that's the qatar investment group is who owns psg and if you follow world soccer we're not talking about making small splashes in some of the players that they have uh, purchased over the last few years right neymar we have uh, zlatan ibrahimovic like they have gone big to make sure that they dominate the french league so that would have been money i personally would have welcomed if i was right into the lec especially if i'm trying to make it a more prestigious league and maybe shake despite their performances shake the feeling that they are a secondary league and they even i don't say they did it specifically because of the secondary portion but i believe that they definitely wanted to change the name so that it would not be viewed as a same brand as the nalcs yeah well if you also you could look at it this way the deal that h2k had with psg might not have been around the same in terms of who operates the team right and that might have been the strike you just want to buy your slot Right, pretty much is what it what it was. Uh, PSG wants to buy their way into league. Maybe Ryan saw that and said, "No, that's not the case," because that's kind of what PSG did with Dota Two, yep. right? And they just bought their way to the top, and and that's just a standard way of playing football. Um, but in terms of with Splice and Overactive Media Group, they're already working together with the teams. Splice is a, a seasoned esports uh, gaming organization, mm-hmm. and. Uh, the money backing them was just like furthering what they're already doing versus maybe a takeover, a weird kind of sideline partnership. I think that that if that deal is what sealed it for for Splice, it must have been with them holding more controlling interest than it was for H2K. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and a lot of the thing worth talking about here for a minute is Origin being involved in this. So the parent company of Astralis, we had talked about this. The, the initial rumors were like, oh, Astralis is going to come to the LCS uh, Origin is a brand that existed until 2017 within the EU LCS that the parent group of Astralis went in, purchased, and that is the branding that they are going to use for this squad in the EU LCS. So effectively, same ownership group, but they decided to go with a branding that is more associated with League of Legends as opposed to Astralis, which has largely been a CSGO organization. Which they want to keep just CSGO. Yep, yep, they, yep, yep. They're all about that. <laughs> all right. So now switching gears, uh, we're, we we talked about... Is that the end of the League of Legends train? That is. The the League of Legends train has uh, come to its final destination, and that is now TwitchCon. Can I point out something real quick? Yeah, yeah. In the last four weeks, we have probably talked about League of Legends and Dota 2 more than maybe the entire rest of the show combined. Now, if we can only talk about more StarCraft. All right. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Uh, All right. So, uh, Twitch wasn't lying uh, about their increasing their tournaments next year. The streaming service announced that they're expanding TwitchCon overseas next year uh, with the event to take place at Berlin City Cube from April 13th through 14th. Uh, That is two days. (laughs) So, uh, now, first a streaming platform, now games retailer, tournament organizer, is Twitch biting off more than it can chew, man? Uh, Twitch bought off more than it could chew many, many years ago. <laughs> I, I didn't even throw in the fact that they, they kind of own Curse, but maybe are running them into the ground kind of thing. Uh, I'm pretty sure that somebody, apparently somebody at Curse must have written an open letter about Twitch, and they said, well, acquire those assholes and drive them into the ground. That's a separate conversation. I, I think Twitch is doing what it needs to do to survive and to diversify. Being only a streaming platform, being only an esports organizer, being only a game retailer, 
none of those are the long-term solution. Streaming obviously being the strongest play, but we have seen platforms be built for a singular purpose and die when that singular purpose is no longer the popular form of entertainment. I We've talked in the past about tournament organizing being where the money is in esports largely, yeah, yeah. and they do not have the resources as a non-game developer to own the games that matter in the esports venue, so they have to try to make more money out of the tournaments they can run. And the best way to make more money out of Rocket League or Vainglory or Mobile Masters, Invitational, or whatever the case may be, would be to have more of these events and own a bigger part of that pie for when they can bring a game into the ecosystem. Is it more than they can chew? Yeah, I think Twitch has been drowning in their own ambition for years now. But they have to do it. This is the only way you grow and continue to give yourself sustainability long-term, and I think it's a smart move. Yeah, I think it is a smart move as well. Um, I think Twitch has a habit to, of biting off more than they chew because they've got these like big eyes of like, this is what we want to do, and then they half-ass it, right? Uh, from a games re- retailing standpoint, there there's have been inklings now for two years. Uh, I know how long it takes to move anything through Amazon. It doesn't surprise me that it's taken this long, um, but they're starting to fall behind. Like Discord's jumped in and probably... <laughs> It will probably take market share away from Twitch simply because it's got the same, the exact same user group, and they're moving forward with it faster than Twitch is, which yeah. is scary to think. Uh, there's been crossovers like Twitch Prime, but even then, everything feels the kind of typical Amazon half done. We want to experiment, see if it's worth anything, and then actually take another two years to develop it after somebody's already come and taken that pie. And I think that. While having more esports tournaments is, is, is great, uh, I also have this question of how long until they start buying more exclusive stuff just to throw in their own tournaments, right? So you remember how they had the deals with Rocket League, uh, sorry, with Vainglory. Yeah. And, uh, Even our, the RLCS early on was an right. exclusive Twitch deal. Yeah, yeah. And so now they're exclusive to only Twitch, and they're only happening at TwitchCon events. It's like the next move. Yep. And they've been and they've made a lot of leeway with doing the Fortnite events at TwitchCon, right? Yeah, well, everybody does with Fortnite events at yes. PAX and TwitchCon, whatever it is. You millions of dollars. Team Liquid throws eighty people at it. You're good. In in one way that we haven't talked about, it is also smart in that we talk about diversification of their products, but also talk about the diversification of the esports that they support. There's a if Blizzard puts all their stuff in the Overwatch League wagon, they have to because they're the owner and the developer, right? And right. if that goes, they have to go with the the waves of popularity of Overwatch, largely like we've seen Riot have to deal with uh, with the LCS. Twitch can jump from popular game to popular game. If next year Fortnite is trash and no one cares about it, and some other random game Scum's gotten big, or you know whatever ends up getting big is the next genre, they're not tied to those games, right? They just need to have the yeah. infrastructure to support esports tournaments for those games. And they might catch them as they're waxing and waning, and they may never own them at their peak, but they will grab 10 games as they're waxing and waning as opposed to dealing with the whole roller coaster of one. Yeah, and if you look at it, I'm sure Twitch is planning for this for a while. They've worked it into some of the deals they had with some of these other games uh, from like exclusive deals uh, or the exclusive streaming platform. Now we get exclusivity or we don't have to pay any kind of like franchising fee if we do want to run it at TwitchCon events, whatever it may be. I'm sure they've probably figured that out. Uh, maybe I'm giving them too much credit. I I just, I, I feel like they're heavily competing with DreamHack. We know DreamHack is successful. Um, DreamHack makes a good amount of money, except mm-hmm. if they're in Las Vegas. But uh I mean, obviously, there's money behind there. I'm just wondering if we're hitting a saturation point, especially when Twitch now wants to double down. And there's only one other event. Remember, they said they were going to double the amount of events this year, and this is just the beginning. Yeah, and having a second place to do those events is a good way to double your events. (laughs) Well, that's true, yes. Math. It is easy. Controversy is a controversy, controversy, depending. I was just saying about the American and English way at the same time. Controversy abound at the uh, Chongqing Major after the government in Chongqing, China, asked that Starladder, the organizers of the Major, were to ban TNC Predators Cuckoo and now former Complexity Gaming player Skem for races for marks made earlier this month. On top of the tournament ban, director of Team Secret Matthew Bailey revealed that the Chinese government also asked the teams to kick the players, although Complexity stated they decided to release Skem before the announcement of the tournament anyway. 
While Skim is currently without a team and likely to escape further fines and punishment, Cuckoo is not immune. This is a big story, and I want to break this down to a couple of parts. So the first question I want to ask you is the Chinese government getting involved at this level in an esports event is unprecedented and scary. We don't see this in North America, for sure, and the EU, and we haven't really seen it in any notable way in South Korea. How much does this worry you? I mean, this is this is pretty pretty crazy. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with that that social system that they're they're doing in China, and now this is part of it too, like where they're also kind of putting it on people who are coming in to to China. And so this is like that Black Mirror episode where everybody's going around and just like giving people like star ratings for how they do normal days. Essentially, normal right? Days. Right? Yeah. If you think your Uber rating's bad, like just wait, wait till your Dota two rating hits hits your phone. Uh, anyways, <laughs> no, I, I think that's. We are going to see more of it, and uh, it's it's the amount that the Chinese government is coming down on cracking down on gaming in general. Um, we've reported on it, I think like every single week something crazy new comes out of China and like yep. what they're doing to Tencent, what Tencent's having to do to to uh, get in line with things, and even with the American companies going into which we ever want to talk about, we'll talk about later in the show, wanting to get into the Chinese market, what they have to do to do it, yep. uh, which is it's nothing nothing new. I think it's just being looked at more now by the government, and right. so this. Well, I don't know if it is the first of its kind. It's definitely a pretty high profile move yeah there's definitely the highest profile time it has happened and shows this weird you have these two trends going parallel right now in which esports is just blowing up in china more so than in any other country and while the chinese government is cracking down on gaming to unprecedented levels right it's a very sticky situation in a country that because of the way that the government is set up there has all the control in the world right if blizzard wants to operate in China, they only do at the discretion of the Chinese government. And if the Chinese government decides that you're not playing ball, you can have a billion-dollar esports program just crushed in overnight. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, it's not uh, – like in the past, this would have played out like a visa level, right? They might have blocked the visas coming in, whatever. But this time, they said the tournament cannot go on if these two players are in there. Yep. And so they, of course, have to be banned. On top of that, they went to the extra the extra step of saying, you uh, – you, you teams need to get rid of these players is even like that. You're just done. You're yeah. Just absolutely done. That's an insane, an insane level of like micromanaging esports teams from a government level. Yep. So what do you think of the punishment then? Because we gave a last time we talked about the story, we gave a fair amount of crap to valve and complexity for not coming in hot enough on these particular things. The Chinese government has clearly solved that problem for us. Is this, heavy-handed do they just i mean are they making an example out of them would this been the punishment anyway like we you and i both agreed that what valve and complexity had done at the point was not enough is this what you wanted to see well complexity overall just released skim right and they claim that it was due to this and i, I mean it's far harsher than the appropriate fines that he was receiving a week or two ago. well okay so he was getting appropriate fines because if you look i think the, the guys only made essentially probably about 80 something thousand dollars playing uh playing dota 2 essentially uh and on top of that if you look at what tnc did uh tnc it's a weird roundabout way of going through and, and deciding that they're going to uh, partially make him give up his winnings. So the official statement is that uh, TNC Predator will donate half of Cuckoo's winnings from the Kuala Lumpur Major and half of any winnings earned at the Chongqing Major in Bucharest Minor as punishment for the player's recent racist remarks. Uh, this was announced uh, earlier today, which is Sunday. Uh, additionally, should the Dota 2 team fail to qualify for the Chunking Major, it will make sure they they will make sure that Cuckoo will stream the coverage of the Chunking Majors competition, and any earnings made during that stream will also be donated. So while it's not necessarily saying exact dollar amounts, like they're going they're retroactively and in the future punishing this kid because of it. But this is what they're saying that they're going to work with in t- in terms of the Chinese government and in while he's still banned, this is what they're doing to to avoid having to dump him. So one other question. So complexity with Skem is in a situation where this happened in professional play. 
So this could be why he got the harsher punishment versus Cuckoo, who this happened in a public channel outside of professional play, and he's getting a lesser punishment. But of note, Complexity, largely a North American organization, has a mixture of European and uh, North American and a few other players, uh, I believe they're captains from Malaysia, uh, versus TNC Predator, which is a Chinese-owned team. Now, while that is, Skem is actually uh, Filipino, he is still part of a Chinese team. Just very interesting how those punishments and the harshness of this fell along those lines. And you could very easily say one is because it happened in professional play. That's why he's out. And the other one happened in public play. So that's why they're not dry, tying it directly. But you could also say punishing the North American team harsher than punishing the Chinese team. Well, to be... Complexity says that before this ban was – that uh, before the chunking government came through and said they're banned, they were already planning on releasing scam. In sure. fact, I think they, they said they had the – well, time. yeah, and I think that was the, the plan. They had already talked to Valve about getting rid of scam because of it, well, they, which is probably why they mentioned well, yeah, he's going to be fine, whatever it may be. Or maybe they saw this coming. Maybe they caught wind of it. I don't know. It, they were called out saying that they – um, they released him because of this band, but they said they wasn't. And I, I don't know who to believe. We're back down to is it was it Peanut or Faker who signed first? Yes. Uh, but in this case, it's like you do realize this show only exists because of that blind conjecture, right? Yeah. Well, I'm just going to hand it over to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, the UK Gambling Commission published a report this week, which found that uh, three in ten children out of the 2,865 polled had opened a loot box in a game. It did not, however, find a link between loot boxes and gambling. This is probably one of the only times that government getting in, involved in something maybe kind of helps the game industry. No, no. I'm just joking, just joking. Um, according to uh, the government body, says we we have not in any way in the survey referred to it as exposure to gambling. Uh, they said uh, the reason we've asked that question is that it's a very popular subject matter, and we want to try and make sure that we have as much information and data around it as possible. What a novel concept. We went in there not trying to prove a predetermined point. Yeah, <laughs> research at its best, my friend. Uh, so while this is great for developers, uh, this actually points to an increasingly complex landscape around the loot boxes, things we've been talking about maybe every other show. I feel like this show has just kind of been like a culmination. Like, we've been talking about it, We've been talking about it now. Everything's kind of coming to a head. We, we um, are the, the soothsayers of esports. That's right. We just... <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, will this be enough to push devs towards a different business model anyways? Even though it's it's not necessarily... It helps your calls, but maybe it doesn't. I don't know. It shows that you're not going to be able to have a one-size-fits-all solution per region. When the Belgium government came out and said, we are going to make you make a different business model... Or remove loot boxes altogether. If you want to compete, if you want to sell your game in our country, that means now you have to go. You might end up with ten different versions of this. Right? It's the Chinese problem. The only reason it works in Chinese markets is that you are often working with a partner who is absorbing right. the cost and the resources needed to make the adjustments to make the game market ready. Uh, you've referred to this earlier in the show these joint ventures that are required for foreign companies to enter the Chinese market do have the benefit that these companies are very good at preparing that product for the Chinese market. In this case, you are going to end up with, it might be different in the UK versus Germany versus France versus Australia versus Belgium. And if you have a viable way of monetizing your game outside of loot boxes, that's even close to what you make from loot boxes you save the added cost of having to regionalize your business model everywhere you go. So I think just the inconsistencies, not necessarily this particular ruling, but the inconsistencies in general are what makes this something where you're going, you know what, that battle pass is looking awful good right now. Right. I mean, there's so many games that are currently in development that it just have to be swinging back and forth, back and forth because of this, because uh, you often want to build in, your way of monetization early on in in terms of the actual game's development, not later on as a afterthought. And it feels like we're going to get a lot of retrofitted games because of this. I completely agree. 
Ubisoft recently backtracked on a slew of proposed changes for Rainbow Six Siege maps that were believed to be in preparation for an upcoming release in multiple Asian countries. Players immediately complained that the changes were beyond cosmetic and actually introduced meta-breaking meta changes to various maps. What was the right move here? Should it have been separate versions of the game or more thoughtful replacements to ensure that they could accommodate censorship while not breaking the map meta? So the one of the things that's pointed out a lot about the map meta is I believe that they had changed, they got rid of slot machines and basically replaced it with just a blank wall in the bar. And in doing so, they kind of removed uh, the line of sight issues. Uh, a lot of people were, were using that to hide and such. And so by doing that, um, they changed that, again, the map meta to, to compensate for wanting to be able to release a single build in China. I think uh, backpedaling on this was a wrong idea. Whenever you have to, whenever you have to split your game into two and handle both versions, it's going to create a, a one, a, a, just a technical, technical, technological debt that you have to always deal with. And on top of that, from an esports standpoint, if you ever want to go regionality and you want to go that world fit concept, now how do you how do you present that map? How do how does China play against the rest of the world when they play on different maps? Yep. And People can com complain and, and whine or whatever be around the maps uh, changing and, and the meta of that map changing, but that's generally meta changing is good. And a lot of games like League of Legends deal with it far more drastically when champions get reworked, right? right. Just effective, like, well, this wall looks different and now this angle is shut down. Well, that might change. Like, deal with it. Like, things change. If anything, it's for the better because if you look at how often, like, Valve goes, Valve is just a bad idea for talking about frequency of changes, but <laughs> I stopped myself. But when you, when a map is reworked, the meta does change and we get to see something new. It's yeah. not bad. I, I just, I think it's a bad reason to back, backtrack. Yeah. So we'll just continue on with that one. Do I have to tell you you're right again? Yes. That's yeah. where I was, I thought I was, that was that dramatic pause. <laughs> so, all right. So the city of Hangzhou has opened its esports town, which is spanning 3.9 million square feet uh, and costing $280 million to build. It would include joint offices and esports venue, venues for LGD Gaming and Allied Esports and will become LGD's home venue for the League of Legends Pro League or the LPL. So we for all this hype surrounding esports in the U.S., it seems that China has leapfrog North American, both in esports popularity and in infrastructure. Is there something still missing in the U.S. ecosystem? Essentially, that is compared to South Korea, which is essentially with Gen G's stuff is now eclipsed U.S. and China. When you add them in there, like, are they just what is what's going on there that's not going on here? Real money. <laughs> I mean, if I'm like, let's let's be honest here, right? Every time you look at the numbers for esports and you talk about the viewership numbers. The numbers that come out of China blow away the numbers coming out of NA. Okay. Massively. Yeah. It's like, oh, we had a million people and 800,000 of them came out of China. Like, it is a massive market, much larger than the U.S. in general, just potential market. The companies are far more bought in than North American companies are. If you look at the size of company and their investment right. in South Korea and China versus the size of company and their investment in the U.S., it's real money. It is not the promise of money. It's not the, oh, esports is the next big thing. Get in on the early wave, which is still largely what we're talking about in the U.S. It is, it's already here. It's already a thing. We have giant gaming companies here. Tencent, by comparison to, I don't even know what the closest body in the end in north america would be because largely they're all owned by tencent or invested in there. some way anyway the scale is astronomical for chinese esports compared to the u.s and until some big company comes in and i don't even know what it would be right so we don't have the same style of progressive technology companies the way they do in China and South Korea, right? Like Apple is not going to come buy an esports company, but Samsung will go buy an esports organization, right? And it's it's just hard because you're not getting that corporate level. The best we're getting is Sour Patch Kids and State Farm and Geico. And it's cool, but it's largely a marketing activation exercise. It is not 
let's buy an esports organization, build a flipping town, and you know, <laughs> like it, it's I mean, this. This is literally the epitome of the difference. Well, if you also look at, it, I think it's it's the it's more culturally accepted there. Esports is more culturally accepted on the in those areas than gaming is in, in general is. Well, yeah, but in, in here it's still every time you talk about esports, people talk about like that's not a real sport. Are they athletes? I don't know. Next on ESPN Sports Center. Right. It's still just rehashed all the time. And so uh, there's still this kind of reluctance to accept it fully into the culture, even though it's changing. But it hasn't changed to the point where, like, those areas of, of the world are already ahead of us. And we, no, no th- esports this is a whole long topic, uh, a crazy topic. But I think that uh, I think it's going to be many years till we even get to that point. But I don't think there's a way of eclipsing them at this point in time. No. No, market is just too big and too far ahead of us at this point. We now have both South Korea and China to worry about as being more dominant in esports in the U.S. Yeah, exactly. Popular Overwatch contenders and Realm Royale player Kefri spoke out this week about the pop-up Realm Royale Founders Tournament that took place at HRX this past weekend. He cited a lack of desk space, no communications, and visible stream monitors as core problems with the tournament. This is a surprising miss from a company that has esports, you know, fairly well figured out at this level. Is their willingness to experiment and rush games out into the market, both from a gameplay standpoint as well as an esports standpoint, starting to cause problems for high res? Well, in this case here, it was a uh, again a pop up kind of tournament, right? They, and apparently, the purest sense. Yeah, exactly. It's like food truck esports. <laughs> yeah, and so when you're when you're thinking about it, uh, it's not essentially. Uh, wasn't really well thought out, well planned, and whenever you do that, in in terms of organizing a tournament, a LAN specifically, it's far more complex than just throwing a bunch of people together to play it online, right? You've got to deal with so much more, uh, so many more things in terms of like how people can cheat, uh, infrastructure overall. Really, does the mouse fit on the desk? <laughs> does the mouse fit on the desk? Uh, can you see other players' screens while they're playing? Oh, geez, imagine that. Uh, and so, it, is it a miss? Uh, yeah, totally. Uh, For a game that's already struggling. Cor- correct. Correct. Uh, it, and w- they also have, what, Skillshot, right? Their, their esports group? Yeah, one of their 900 companies that they have uh, spun off, yes. Yeah, and so, again last minute uh, thrown together because it wasn't a mention in any of their things leading up to it. I don't, uh, HRX had, uh, high no, had not mentioned anything really about Realm Royale right. at HRX until evidently now last minute. And it's and there. Now they're getting nothing but negative press out of this. Imagine situation. that. Yeah. So I, again, it's just, uh, another cog in the wheel is probably going to just drive that. I, into I the think ground. it's, th- I think it's time to kill this experiment and, uh, focus on another game high risk i'm just gonna say that it's now. probably probably what's gonna end up happening so uh all right so moving on we've got the high school esports platform platform play vs and you go back to school how to re- learn how to read uh play vs has raised a 30.5 million series b from elysian park ventures the company recently partnered with psionics and high res to add rocket league and smite <laughs> not Realm royale to the company's roster of tournaments that already included league of legends so this is high school esports. Uh, do you think that at this point in time, high school esports are even more important than collegiate esports, given that most players are that young of age in terms of uh, when they get involved into actual esports competitive competitions? And well, we won't talk about the NCAA too, NCAA too much. Uh, you know how I get about the NCAA. I know, right? That's your, it's your trigger acronym. Triggered. I think high school esports are where it's at. When you talk about and the competition where the players peak in most games in their teens and early 20s. We've talked about this before. If you're in your 20s and you're playing collegiate esports, it's because you're not one of the world's best esports players. High school, that is definitely not the case, especially when you take something like Overwatch League, which has very strict rules for on age, and that will continue to be the case for more and more franchising. This is where it's at. This is why you're seeing investments in companies like PlayVS, because in the end... Collegiate esports is going to be a hobby. It's going to be a cool thing for C and D and E tier players to do in college when they don't play enough esports or a not good enough to play esports at a level to make it a career. The future stars of North American esports could potentially come out of high school esports programs. And this is the type of thing that can help us catch up 
to China and South Korea because we are making it part of these kids' childhood and upbringing as opposed to a thing they do once they get to college. It's a, it's a cultural shift, right, earlier on. It is. And so I'm going to maybe trigger warning right now. Do you think do you think the main reason why people aren't investing heavily into collegiate esports now there's things like Tespa whatever but is is because of the likelihood that the NCAA will step in and the college the colleges will just bump out whoever's in that space and just side with NCAA because they all their other sports are already rolled by them it hasn't been as successful all the time but the ability to circle up groups of schools, even nationally, has seen a lot more investment than anything in the collegiate esports. We talk about the Snoop League with like whatever you want to call Pee Wee football or whatever the case may be, high school leagues that include teams from throughout the country. There is already, even in traditional sports, shown a lot more flexibility at this level to mold the system the way that you want it to mold and an appetite for investment. Your point is 100% spot on both about NCAA and the universities in general. You have to deal with conferences. You have to deal with a governing body. You need to deal with the individual esports or you know clubs within the schools, the schools themselves. 100%. Esports in high school, far easier to get invested in, far less infrastructure, far less governing bodies to stick their fingers in the pie and to keep you from blowing things up versus, hey, I went and I found all the schools in Central Ohio and I created a Central Ohio Esports League, and that's far easier to do than if you wanted to create a Big Ten Esports League. So couldn't agree more. Super excited to see Play VS uh, raise some more funds around this. Invent Global is confirmed with multiple sources that NetEase, which is Blizzard's China distributor, will introduce a Hearthstone team league featuring a 2 million won buy-in. This follows previous rumors kicked off by the Philadelphia Fusion a few weeks ago that this Hearthstone league may be on the horizon for all regions. With each passing rumor, this seems more and more likely to happen not just in China, but potentially worldwide. Is this the kick in the pants that Hearthstone Esports needed to be? I believe you quoted it from an article earlier. The uh, the sleeping dragon. What the hell is the analog that they use for uh, Hearthstone? Is apparently this super big esport that's just waiting to rise from the ashes. And uh, I'm not sure what they refer to it as the sleeping dragon, but I don't. I can't remember what they. I, I don't know. They were trying to say that like this is like the the. Big moneymaker esports. Invest yeah, in yeah. Hearthstone now. Yeah. I'm realizing that. By the Hearthstone... way, I also run a Hearthstone esports fund that you can invest in. <laughs> right. It's kind of a weird article. They, it talked about uh, Hearthstone like it, like nobody has ever heard of it, kind of thing. I know. It's like we found the secret game that nobody's played except for 100 million people, according to Blizzard. But, you know. <laughs> right, right. It's just it's just like the sleeping giant or something sleeping. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, that, that aside, that is a pointless article. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, I don't think this is going to turn Hearthstone around. There was a lot of people, a lot of people freaking out um, around this killing competitive play. Um, they thought they were going to get rid of the HCT Masters stuff, uh, HCT Masters format, um, that uh, in terms of getting points and kind of screwing over people who had been accumulating points this year. Uh, just uh, again, a lot of sky is falling stuff. I don't see this solo player competitive scene being too impacted by this, largely because uh, the the Chinese market has all always been different than the rest of the world in terms of how HCT points and things are earned. HCT points aren't actually there, essentially, when it comes to the, the Chinese market. They run their own stuff, uh, and at the end of the year, they essentially – uh, during every kind of uh, quarter, they kind of have their own people who've been homegrown. Their homegrown league, their homegrown system, essentially gets kind of thrown into the rest of the world system. So them jumping in and making changes there is totally different than the rest of the world. Right. And so it doesn't surprise me. Now the stuff going on with Philadelphia Fusion, and they've signed a couple of different players in a different league. Now th- this is an interesting thing is whether or not they will we will have the Overwatch teams or the traditional franchise teams buying into that region right. as actual teams. That's the interesting piece. I don't know how that, that plays out. But I don't think the sky is falling. I don't think they're getting rid of competitive play for individuals across the way. I think that it's it's a smart move on their part to get a team league going. I think the format is junk. 
is crap if it's the rumored format let me be clear is crap this you bring one deck you get basically a sidebar just like a magic and you can swap out but it can only you can only change your deck up to six cards which if you know hearthstone do people know about the deck ahead of time because i still will never get over that no i well yeah everybody's just gonna be playing druid because that's the only one with the flexibility of six cards to change your deck and it's all kind of the same deck anyways uh, at least in this current meta, I, I don't think that uh, that that will work as a format. I think it will still have to. I think the traditional format works better. That in that case, this will, will, you'll end up seeing a lot of people like right now. Everybody be playing Druid. That's it. Everybody be playing Druid because nobody else has really four viable decks. You're looking at four viable decks to compete with. Sign me up with one class. Nobody has it right now, but really Druid, arguably. So you're basically saying this will be the uh, Hearthstone Druid League. <laughs> yeah, until the expansion. Anyways. <laughs> All right. And so last week, Fortnite launched a highly publicized brand activation with the NFL, allowing players to choose a team and a number to display on the jersey. Unsurprisingly, uh, this led to some interesting videos involving controversial NFL figures, including Michael Vick, Aaron Hernandez, and Colin Kaepernick. Now, it was halted, and the NFL claims that this was always intended to be limited. Like they, they pulled the plug on it pretty quick. It was only a couple of days. If they do come back, what will the NFL change to avoid this? And and is there? I mean, there's no way possible that this sat well with the NFL. No, so I think they it, they will bring it back because there was way too much development that went into this. This had an extra level of customization we have not seen from the skins in Fortnite. The ability, and this is what caused the problem, the ability to put whatever number you wanted to on the jersey, which is how people were able to, you know, this is Aaron Hernandez, et cetera, et cetera. I think it comes back. They limit the numbers that you can pick for specific teams so they can block out specific situations like this, which will be interesting to see which ones they pick because in an Aaron Hernandez situation – Yes, makes 100% sense. The Michael Vick situation gets a little bit harder because he's somebody who's rehabilitated his image. And Colin Kaepernick, they are actively in litigation with because he has claimed that they are colluding to keep him out of the league, that being the owners in the NFL, which means what message can you you say? We block Colin Kaepernick's number on the 49ers because of the ongoing litigation, or do you leave it in there so that people don't, so you're not adding evidence to this potential litigation? There's a lot of challenges here, and the NFL is notoriously over careful with their image management. One that's often referred to as the no fun league. And if you look at even something as stupid, I'm going to take this to sneakers for a second, but the sneaker policies and the celebration policies of the NFL have been cited as two major reasons why fans have migrated over to the NBA because those players can be themselves more and the NBA is able to build up these players and their own personal brand, seeing it as a good thing to you know have that splash onto the league where the NFL is like, nope, don't want players doing things that might potentially look bad upon us even if we are missing out on some good things. So I'm surprised it even got this far. It comes back with limitations. I just can't believe this got through. I just cannot believe the NFL would do something like this. That I mean, you knew this was going to happen. How could you not see this coming? I think it comes back, but it comes back. Everybody gets like zero zero as the player number, right? Like it's yeah, locked yeah. into like one imaginary number that doesn't exist. That's it. Like, oh, they just take the numbers off the jerseys or something. Possibly, yeah. It, it'll come back, but it will be it will be limited, and people won't be able to do this because anything else is is even more controversial, right? Like you're you're coming back, and now people feel like, oh, they can't do it because they limit it. Now you're having the same rhetoric, the same story coming back, and uh, yeah, this was this or just pick a, a popular player from each team and you'll have them use that number or something. I don't know. Uh, maybe, yeah. yeah. Just I don't get it, but I am still. This is one of those things where like, how did this get through the NFL front office? Just thinking of the things that they this don't is, allow. They just find some dude like thousands of dollars for pulling a flip phone out of the and making a making a fake phone call during a celebration. Like, yeah, I think uh, one of the things that's it's also kind of funny with this is that you know the NFL really jumped into this because they they, they heard Fortnite, Fortnite and they heard yeah they heard this whole like well you know all the teenagers and, and the whole demographic that is missing from the NFL uh, is all playing Fortnite. So let's, let's really go and push towards them. Um, and here it is, like, yep, you totally did that one wrong. You didn't see it coming because they're so out of the shows, like, how out of touch they are with that whole I know. generation of, of they, they of just people. heard kids marketing money, woo, and yeah, 
literally proved their, how out of touch they I, were. I have to say that this whole Thanksgiving was really funny. Uh, there was uh, Justin McElroy from My Brother, My Brother, and Me talked about how he was messing with all of his like teenage uh, kind of like cousins and family members, whatever, going around constantly asking them if is is this Fortnite? Like they'd be texting us. Is is that Fortnite? Is that what Fortnite is? Or and like evidently in the Thanksgiving saying thanking thanking everybody for the the great Fortnite they've received and like just <laughs> using Fortnite in all the wrong context. It's a lot of fun to do. In the NFL, they did it, but in a way that was just like a public smack in the face. Completely unintentional. Yeah. But they yeah. did it anyway. Uh, as always, you can catch this show every Monday and Thursday with all our NFL skin goodness on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Just head over to eLeagueReport.com for all the ways to listen and subscribe. And while you're over there on iTunes, tell us what you think of the show by leaving a five-star review. This week, we've gone global with longtime listener uh, Karova dropping five stars on us in the Swiss iTunes store of all places. Oh, nice. My, uh, my former place of residence. <laughs> well, the place you're still paying taxes on. Uh, let's not talk about that situation. Uh, but keep those coming. If you leave us a review on iTunes, make sure to hit us up on social at eLeague TV or let us know in our Discord, discord.eleaguereport.com, so we can give you a shout out on the show because we like to do that. It's always good. Always we, good. We should I do like it. a global tour. Like, I just want people to leave us reviews in like obscure iTunes stores so that we can uh, just talk about those weird countries we never talk about otherwise. Yeah. We just got to fight. We gotta find people to listen there. <laughs> yes, yes. So if you're in Malaysia and you listen to the show, we'd love a five star review in the Malaysian store. And of course, if this is not enough esports content for you, be sure to check out E League Daily for the day's top headlines available at Amazon Echo Flash Briefing or in regular old podcast form. And don't forget, this Friday, the final part three of the E League Smash Ultimate E3 Invitational takes place at eleven PM Eastern and Pacific on TBS. That's going to do it for this week. We'll see how many more League of Legends roster moves happen between now and next week's. Or no, not. Damn it. Try that again. That's going to do it for this week. We'll see how many more uh, roster moves can happen in League of Legends between now and Thursday when we come back with the midweek edition of the E-League Report. (laughs) 